Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Good morning. This is breakfast, and you're listening to Morning Shot. When the clock strikes 8:30 p.m. on the 25th of March around the world, millions of people and companies will be switching off their lights in their homes or buildings for an hour. Yes, I'm talking about Earth Hour. The campaign is probably no stranger to most, but some might question: Does that single hour really make a difference? 60 little minutes. Well, an earlier study that examined data in 10 countries over six years found that Earth Hour alone helped reduce electricity consumption by an average of 4%. But beyond this symbolic hour, are companies and individuals pulling their weight to cut down their impact on the environment? For a clearer picture, we're joined by Swati Mandloy, Assistant Market Transformation Manager at the WWF Singapore. Welcome to the show, Swati. Hello, morning. Thank you for having me. Okay, the Earth Hour campaign. It's been going on for 16 years now. What is so different with the campaign this time around? Well, um, in Singapore, Earth Hour has been growing and growing, and we've been very excited about how um, this year it's being received. Um, so for us, for Earth Hour, what's different this year is not just individuals. We're also bringing in businesses, and we're trying to expand the Earth Hour symbolic movement to also talk about partnerships and how going forward, now that we have a net zero target, how we all kind of need to work together to develop and um, create the pathway to get there. And that's what's really exciting about this year is beyond the year, uh, beyond just the hour, we also have businesses. We've had an Earth Hour Summit earlier this month. And we are expecting a lot of individuals to show up and to also start taking those actions that are required to get us to net zero. Collectively, do you think you can give us a sense of how much energy quantitatively does that single hour will help save? Well, I can get back to you after this year on that. <laughs> but, uh, but just to give you an idea, last year we had a record-breaking participation where we had over 1,000 establishments mm-hmm. in Singapore that switched off their lights. Um, and compared to two years ago, this is like a two-fold increase in that. So this has been growing quite steadily. But let me come back to you on those figures. All right. Looking forward to that. Of course, the rationale behind that is to spur action beyond just committing for that single hour. What would you consider as quantifiable, observable impact made by companies so far? Do you have any examples to share with us? Yes, I think um, when it comes to companies, right, they play an extremely important role in this whole climate transition that we need to see. And um, the way to quantify the company impact, I mean, you can look at absolute emissions, but us as WWF, as a founder of this a platform called the Science-Based Targets Initiative. What we like to see is how many companies are actually setting credible targets that are aligned with the latest science. So if you look at that, since 2015, we have had more than 4,700 companies set targets aligned to net zero, mm-hmm. um, which for us is how we measure success. And this includes you know, large multinationals like Apple, Microsoft, Unilever, and companies of that like. Within Singapore as well, um, from 29, uh, early 2021, we had around nine companies. And today we have more than 30 companies in Singapore itself that have signed up to this credible net zero target setting pathway, where they have taken um, a very robust understanding of their own organization and set targets against them to reduce their carbon emissions progressively. And that's where we see this quantified target setting, credible target setting, as a progress that has been made in the net, you know, last five to ten years. 
Okay, putting that in perspective with the 2015 mm-hmm. Paris Agreement's goal, which is to hold the increase in the global average temperature to well below 2% above pre-industrial levels and then pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. What is the biggest challenge at this point? We see the push to reduce reliance on fossil fuels, but at the same time, banks are still financing fossil fuel projects in some parts of the world. Well, yeah, you're right. I think we this is probably one of the biggest challenges we face right now as a global community is to restrict the temperature rise. And I think, well, globally, the problem is much more complex, but what we really need is the collective action. And the centerpiece needs to be a science-based strategy. But closer to home, for example, in Singapore, what you talked about, energy decarbonization still remains a really big challenge. Mm-hmm. So you can hear these news announcements, right, where Singapore's importing renewable energy or creating that infrastructure to greening its own grid. And that's where it gets complicated because when you want to electrify your transportation or you want to digitize your solutions in the market, you want to make sure that that's happening simultaneously while you're reducing your carbon emission from the electricity, not increasing it. So that remains a very big challenge. And financial institutions that are financing a lot of it are really coming under scrutiny for this. Um, But there is a pathway that they can create to finance the green transition as well and to be able to make um, you know, bankable solutions, whether it be natural capital, like your forest, water, or your transition for, you know, companies to adopt better practices. So this is all an extremely big challenge. I, I don't have to tell. I think I mean, this doesn't mm-hmm. come as a surprise to anyone. But what it requires is this, you know, coordinated effort between governments and private sector and financial institutions so that, you know, nobody's left behind and that this transition is actually happening from top to bottom. And that's where we are quite keen to see how things are progressing. We're in conversation with Swati Mandloy, Assistant Market Transformation Manager from the WWF Singapore. Swati, in the last few years alone, we've seen many companies appoint new sustainability heads as firms race to establish ESG credentials and you know, in the face of growing regulatory market pressure. Are the skills needed to fulfill key sustainability roles keeping up with that demand? Well, I think uh, it's it's quite a market consensus that um, the gap is rather significant. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this at the Earth Hour Summit, which mm-hmm. was held earlier this um, month, and three of the industry leaders we have in the panel all were saying, you know, we need to develop the talent. It's it's not going to get done overnight, but it's something that we as companies and organizations see very important. I think maybe the reason behind that is sustainability is not really a mainstream career choice in, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it is complicated because, you know, when you go into an organization, what you're really doing is understanding its impact. And that can look, you know, you need analytics, you need communication, you need coordination. And that requires different skills. Um, But in Singapore, we're seeing dedicated courses and, you know, a lot more vocational trainings coming along on that line. But unfortunately, time is not on our side when it comes to climate change. So there's a lot of pressure on companies, you know, and and on individuals to deliver on those roles. And we absolutely see the gap in the market right now. In that same vein, we're also hearing about companies and executives playing up their knowledge and experience in sustainability, or in other words, competence greenwashing. Which industries are particularly facing that problem of fudged ESG skills? Well, that's a really interesting question, I think, because <laughs> this is um, not this is again not to be accusatory, but really, mm. competence greenwashing is a risk across the sector, mm. across all sectors. There is no one sector that is plagued by this or poses exceptional risk. 
Um, you know, some people label themselves as CSG experts because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's just a lucrative job function. Mm-hmm. But in in these high demand moments, some people are simply just being asked to step up on those roles because there's a lack of expertise. Um, the, the risk to this is, you know, while there might be good intentions behind it, if you don't know what you're doing when it comes to sustainability, you might end up doing more harm than good because there are actual considerations to be made in decision making um, on, you know, on a very fundamental level that sustainability requires for companies to do. Um, but, you know, there's not, it doesn't mean that you can't, you can't train the right people or you can't bring them up to speed. And that's where it gets very interesting where you can have, you know, upskilling within the organization that can help alleviate some of the pains. And, you know, nobody in isolation can create a sustainability report or transform a company. It requires a village and it requires every individual across different systems to do it. Mm-hmm. So while there are there's absolutely risk of this and greenwashing can happen more and companies can implicate themselves more if they don't have the right individuals in those positions. But they can mitigate that, those risks by having trainings. For example, we have uh, Asia Sustainable Finance Institution mm-hmm. that has been started by WWF Singapore to exactly um, you know, target that problem to say, okay, how can financial individuals train themselves to be able to deal with actual real life problems when they're talking to their clients or asset managers to be able to solve that issue. Mm. Um, so it is, it is definitely something that we're seeing and we hope you know, going forward companies and individuals are stepping up and making sure they're the best informed when they're making those decisions across an organization. Okay, Swati, I'm going to ask you, what will you be doing on Earth Hour? Uh, well, we have quite a lot of exciting activities planned. So obviously, I will be switching off my lights mm-hmm. tomorrow um, for for the hour and participating in a lot of activities. Um, we do have sustainability talks down at the Esplanade where we are doing the event itself. Mm-hmm. And I've, I will be doing a little climate trivia game for everybody who's interested, who is coming down to the event. And we'll be really talking about why individual action is also important. You know, what you eat, how you transport, commute to work, how you choose to um, buy your electricity. These decisions are extremely keen. And what we're going to be doing across the weekend is to get individuals talking about this, thinking about this, and making it easier for them to make those decisions and empower them. Is there a particular place for these activities? Uh, yes, so it'll be down at the Esplanade. Mm. Um, by the bay, and we will be having a lot of exciting activities. Please come down there. Um, we'll be hoping to see as many people as we can. Yeah, I might just check it out. Thank you very much, Swati. We've been speaking with Swati Mandloy, Assistant Market Transformation Manager at the WWF Singapore. Thank you. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.